Welcome everybody to episode 54 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I would like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the soccer public of the Illawarra, Australia, Paris, the United Kingdom and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Shane McGurr is our interviewee in episode 54. In 1987, he started his football journey with Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club, where he played in defence up until 1995. Shane then transitioned into the senior ranks in 1996, where he joined his local club, West Fig Tree. After a couple of seasons with West Fig Tree, Shane then continued to play with the merged Western Suburbs entity for four seasons. Next, in 2002, Shane was identified by former Socceroo Adrian Alston, who was coaching IPL powerhouse Paul Kembler Soccer Club. He signed with the Zebras, and over the next few seasons, Shane took his game to the next level as a lethal attacker amongst a quality team and club that achieved enormous success. Shane additionally played with the Illawarra representative team, Wollongong Wolves, Arpia Leichhardt, a brief stint with Johor FC in Malaysia, Bulai FC and West Illawarra, before moving with his family over to Western Australia. He played for many years for a local club in WA before picking up the coaching clipboard to coach his boys. Shane has an immense amount of humility and is always thanking the coaches and players who he played with over the years. He sees the individual awards he won, e.g. IPL Golden Boot Awards, as a byproduct of his coaches and teammates' efforts. The insights he gives into his own career and the people he played with and against are fantastic. He came across to me as a player who had the determination and discipline to improve his game and always be successful in his role for the team. My sincere thanks go out to Shane for moving around his family timetable for this interview. It was an absolute pleasure and honour to listen to his memories. Please enjoy episode 54. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in my small study in Coromel and on the other side of the country in WA, I've got a very, very special guest in Shane McGurr. Shane, welcome and thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, appreciate you thinking my story is good enough to tell. Um, just a quick note for yourself, I, I really appreciate the podcast. It's um, managed me to keep in touch with football in the Illawarra, even being on the other side of the country. So really appreciate what you do for, for the game in the Illawarra, mate. So thank you. Thank you for supporting the podcast, and, and you definitely do have a great story to tell, and, and we'll get straight into it. Uh, you were born in 79. Uh, what are your first memories of football? Uh, unlike today, where we got small-sided games and, and all sorts of um, new new developments, we started uh, 11 v 11 full pitch. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how many touches of the ball I got in my first game, but uh, <laughs> I actually still remember my first game. It was... A, uh, against your beloved Balgani of all of all people, <laughs> pretty sure we got beat seven nil, and pretty sure it was uh, Victor Cupsable and a few others, Matt Clark maybe, and even uh, Gus Masters' coach team that was the um, 
the bugbear of my junior career for years and years because, uh, you know, we were always up against them. They were always state champions and champions of champions, I think it was back then. And, yeah, we played them every year. They went undefeated in every season pretty much, yeah. So, again, he's always uh, been a troublesome team of mine. And for Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club, you joined in 87 and went from under sevens and, and played right through until 95. Uh, what do you recall of your two coaches, uh, Cesar Zuminar and, and Barry Robson? To, to begin with, the, the team was just made up of you know kids from school and wanting to get a soccer team together because a few of the, the kids were in, into soccer via their parents. But uh, I'd, I'd never had any any connection with soccer before then. My parents were both sports people, but um, mum was a netballer and tennis and dad played rugby league, hockey, cricket, uh, did athletics. So soccer wasn't really in the family, but um, yeah, just you know, a group of mates at school in you know year one or whatever it was and get a team together. So Caesar was a, a good mate of mine's uh, father. So I think yep. he had typical to this day, you know, he had some inclination of what soccer was. So um, he became the coach and, and then worked through sort of the under sevens, eights and nines, you know, just, just putting kids on a park. And then when we got into the more serious, you sort of get to 11, 12, um, Barry Robson took over, who again was another um, another mate's father, but this was a more sort of select team as opposed to you playing with your mates. So yep. these people come and go. And yeah, Barry was more sort of uh, a technical-minded coach and yeah, sort of got, got us into the game that way. At that time, uh, Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club, were they still in the the black and red or was it moving more to the blue and red? We had a bit of both. I think I, I looked at some early photos. We had the old um, red shirts with the black um, black on it. I, I yep. think we only went to red and blue when we got to seniors or very close to okay. maybe even that youth grade year. But yeah, no, we were the, we were the red and black for a long time um, over at Harry Graham Park, which was a, you know, a great, great ground for me anyway. That's sort of where, where my career sort of started and... I still remember the club rooms and the day I think I went in to get registered, you know, in the big concrete building. <laughs> yeah, Harry Graham Park, a, a beautiful suburban ground, and it's a shame that it, it doesn't have uh, senior soccer uh, playing there to this day. For yourself, was there any any memories from, from your junior days that, that stick in your mind? A gala day or or a certain game or season? Most years, we were, we were quite competitive. Uh, pretty much in, you know, your... I think every every year, sorry, we went to a semi-final series, and yep. it was always uh, it was always Fig Tree, Balgowny, Albion Park, and Marilla were always the top four sides. And I think back in those days, you would um, get drawn out of a hat on the day. Oh wow! So you would turn up in the morning, um, not know actually who you're playing, and then they sort of do the draw, and the the two games are side by side. And luck of the draw, always we would always draw Balgowny, and then Marilla <laughs> and Albion Park would play on the pitch next to us. <laughs> and I think a few years in a row, I'm pretty sure we we knocked off Balgowny and then went on to the grand final and got beat by Abbey Park. So <laughs> we we had a bogey team in Balgowny that we couldn't beat through the year and then we'd knock them out and then we'd lose the grand final. So I think our grand final was always the, the semi-final. We, you know, we had the gala days and used to do the march pass and all those sort of things. I do I do remember a lot of those. I did see, uh, I've got a photo of, it looks like we won a trophy at, at Balgowny's ground. Before we... Uh... Uh, talk about uh, your first um, position in terms of playing in defence. Was there ever a chance, you said before that your dad played rugby league, was there ever a chance that you were tempted to play rugby league and, and potentially play the game that he played? 
not really, no. I did I did give it a go at, in primary school, but I, I wasn't a very big kid. Yeah, rugby league sort of didn't really tickle my fancy. Um, my my mates all played soccer, so that's sort of how we got into it. Once once I was into the sport, you know, that was sort of what what I was good at and and played on. And my dad came around. He he was a, a rugby league fan to begin with, but then as the years went on and I got more and more into the soccer, I'd come home and catch him watching a soccer game as opposed to a rugby league game. So he, he came around as well. And mum was just a typical mum, just a you know a supporter of her child. So yeah, there was no. Um, there's no inkling to go try another sport. I did try rugby league at, at primary school and I got belted because I was too small. So that, that wasn't definitely wasn't a game for me. <laughs> and as I said before, you're synonymous with hitting the back of the net as a striker and as a, as a lethal striker in the IPL and NPL, predominantly in your junior career and even in the early years in in the senior ranks with West Fig Tree, you played in defence. Where did you play? We, we used to play with a, a sweeper back in those days. So I guess, you know, in the early years, you sort of get thrown around all over the place to begin with when you don't really know much about the game and sort of the coach is trying to work out who's who. Um, and I guess I just, yeah, I'm not sure how, but I ended up uh, at, the, at the back and playing defence and mainly sweeper. And I, I think I could just read the game pretty well. I think yep. that might have been a reason why, but yeah. Didn't know I could score goals back then, so I don't think I scored too many goals in, in the junior career, to be honest, maybe because I wasn't, you know, I was pretty slight. So, um, yeah, just ended up at the back and obviously must have done something right because that's where they kept me for the most part. In 96, you joined the senior ranks with West Fig Tree in youth grade. And like you said, you were playing sweeper there. Uh, what are your memories of the first year of youth grade? Um, the club, uh, other players, coaches? So I joined the uh, youth grade. Um it was just a natural progression from, uh, I think it was we went to under 16s back then, and then we come too old, and I think it was actually under 19s or yeah. under 21. Yeah, there was. was a few different age groups over the years, so it was just the, the natural progression. And um, yeah, I just wanted to continue playing. Not many of my teammates actually ended up going through. Maybe two or three out of you know 14 or 15. So I, I just continued on on with the sport. Uh, can't remember who the coach is for the life of me, um, <laughs> but uh, I do remember, you know, um, Phil Carr was the coach of, of first grade and you'd play your youth grade and then ask to get uh, stay around and sit on the bench for first grade. So I'd, I did sit on the bench for first grade a few times. I don't think I got more than four or five minutes, but um, yeah, it's still a good experience, you know, to, to get around the senior senior players and, you know, they had a, a very strong side back then. So, yeah, yeah, good to be part of the club. Yeah, you you were sort of rubbing shoulders at the club with the likes of Don Martinoski, Steve Hile, Rod Hill, um, the Hastings brothers, and the Barilla clan. So um, it must have been a, a great bunch of blokes to to be a part of as a as a senior group. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, at that age, you know, you're only young, sixteen, seventeen. Who knows what the future holds? And yeah, you know, these big, strong, strong guys playing league and uh, well, first grade and you know, you, you sort of wonder if you if you can do it, but uh, by the same token, you sort of you know it, it seems a long way away. But um, yeah, it was definitely a good club, and pretty sure I played some reserve grade as well. So there was you know you're always hanging around there from eleven o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon, and yeah, good experiences. And you did uh, get a goal that year, and and it was uh, incidentally at, at Weatherall Park uh, against Paul Kembler. So uh, a sign for the future, although you didn't know it at that point. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know at the time, but yeah, it was kind of ironic that I did score, and it was a 
I don't think it was a striker's goal by any means, but um, I didn't get many goals, like I said, up up until that point. So yeah, it was a, it was a good experience. But yeah, who, who would have thought, uh, you know, years later, how ironic that that goal would have been? But uh, definitely not me at the time. <laughs> and to finish off that '96 year, you, your youth grade team did make the grand final, and um, unfortunately beaten one nil by a strong Northern United team, which which had. Uh, some classy players in it. Um, it was still a successful season from your perspective. Yeah, I guess you know, always always making a grand final is is some sort of success. Um, we, we didn't know what to expect being first year of youth league, but there was, there was some strong youth league sides around back then, and we also had um, we sort of got strengthened going into the semis because back then they were they allowed you to drop your uh, underage youth grade players, yep. so we had a couple of. Uh, uh, you know, first regular first graders that dropped back to play for us. I think um, Paul Hastings was one of them. Um, yeah. So we sort of got strengthened to um, for the final series. So that you know that was always you know a bonus for us to have to have some quality players come back and help us out. But the uh, the, the Northern United side was pretty stacked too. They had uh, pretty sure like Gavin, As O'Brien, and yeah. Shorty, and a few of those other ones in it. So Mickey Granko even maybe so. Yeah, it was it was um, it was a good game. It was a big day, you know. It was the first, you know, you play grand finals as a kid, but this was uh, the IPL, or it might have been the ISL at the time. But you know, at Brandon Park, which was still the Wolf home ground back then, so it was sort of a big day and good experience. And um, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get the result, but yeah, good experience nonetheless. And and not that you didn't deserve a, a first grade position, but in 1997, you were thrust into first grade. I, I would. I would suggest um, under a new West Fig Tree coach, Chris Dunleavy, uh, explain to the listener um, how this came about and and what had transpired in the off season. Yeah, so um, I guess we came back to uh, to a club that was pretty much empty. So uh, Phil Carr decided to go join Northern United, and I think he took you know nine or ten of the the first grade squad with him. So um, we ended up with with no one and and yeah Chris Dunleavy came in as the coach um and it was more or less almost our whole youth grade grand final side became the first grade side just by default because we were the other the most senior players at the club um I think we had a couple that stuck around Don Martinoski was one I think Stevie Hyle might have still stayed but apart from that um there wasn't many many that were left behind um I, I found an article and I think it was like 35 of 47 players were under under the age of 19 wow. so uh wow. it was a very very young side yeah so um it was a, it was an interesting year that's that's for sure and for yourself uh, how did you adjust to first grade football in the IPL it, it's always been a strong league um no matter what decade you play in and and you changed uh, your positioning as well and and moved into the midfield yeah, we sort of, um, I guess, put players wherever wherever we could find a spot for them. Um, we had no no left footers in the team at all, so I ended up out on sort of the left wing, left midfield. Um, I think because I was young and could get up and back, and yeah, I'm not sure if uh, I knew what I was doing at the time. But um, it was a, a hard year because, like I said, we had no experience, so we were getting beat, you know, time after time. But it was only, you know, we'd get beat three or four nil, four or five nil, and it wouldn't reflect the game. We'd probably have ten or twenty minutes where we stopped playing just from yeah. inexperience or, or lack of, you know, match hardness, and and we'd get beat three or four nil. I think we only we only got two points that whole year. I think it might have been two draws with Dapto or something like that. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a long year from from a result point of view, but obviously a, a steep learning curve for for a lot of the young kids, and it would have been a hard coaching job to be honest. So credit to Chris for sticking with us through the <laughs> through the hard times. But um, yeah, it was uh, definitely a a quick transition, not not um, ease our way into first grade. It's um, using our first grade off his go. See how you go. <laughs> There was a, a highlight for you personally in that you uh, made the Illawarra representative youth grade team that year. What do you recall of that experience? Yeah, I think uh, Gus Masters was the coach, so uh, yeah, I got called up for a for a day down in Canberra. So that was when the Illawarra Canberra was a, a regular fixture. I think yeah. it died for a few years there. But yeah, look, I don't remember the result of the game. I think we might have got beat, but uh, I do remember Canberra, and it was a freezing cold <laughs> afternoon and. Uh, I remember in the change rooms we were in, they had the big bar heaters on the wall, but they were yep. right up near the roof, and uh, <laughs> everyone was getting changed up on the benches because the concrete was absolutely freezing. And yeah, Canberra's not my cup of tea, that's for sure. But um, yeah, no, it was a good experience, and I'm pretty sure I um, I rushed back from Canberra and I still played uh, first grade that afternoon, or was on the bench at least because the the games were going on. So I'm not sure how that worked, but wow. I vaguely remember coming back to to try and play in a game. So. Well, coming back from Arctic conditions to to reasonable weather, that would have been uh, the only positive, I guess. <laughs> no, no, it was uh, no, it was a good experience, and uh, yeah, obviously I crossed paths with Gus, uh, you know, early <laughs> my juniors, so obviously uh, he uh, knew knew what I could do. So yeah, it was a it was a good call up um, in terms of sort of getting noticed. That was probably the first time I really got sort of any sort of recognition or, or notice for in my career because I, I never played any rep size when I was younger. I couldn't even make my high school team because I wasn't big enough so it was sort of the first real achievement in terms of uh, being selected for a, you know, a representative type side so yeah, it was a good experience. And looking back on it now in hindsight do you think that that sort of planted a seed that sort of said well I can achieve things here if I put my mind to it um, I've been in first grade all year although we're losing I'm still playing okay and and I've made this team so someone's taken notice. Yeah, I think so. I guess uh, you know, it, it's always good to get recognised. And I, I think I was young and naive too. I, I probably didn't realise what I was in for. You know, you're seven and eighteen, just going around doing what you can. So um, yeah, you know, any, any any achievement like that was is a bonus. And yeah, it's good to have other people other than you know, you get recognition off your own coaches. It's not the same. So yeah, definitely um, gave me a buzz to to make a new aura side. So it was uh, yeah, a good experience. That uh, 97 year was tough. The club, like you said, finished bottom of the IPL and uh, you've spoken about how tough it was. But also at the end of that off-season, uh, uh, West Fig Tree merged with West Era, uh, becoming Western Suburbs. Um, for yourself as a Fig Tree junior and then coming into the senior ranks for for a couple of years, it must have been a, a bit of a disappointment to um, have an identity change and, and as well as that, lose Harry Graham Park. Yeah, I guess you know I was a I was a victory junior, so you know um, that was sort of the big concern going around about sort of both clubs were toing and froing about you know names and logos and all sorts of things. So you, you didn't want to lose that identity. Um, you know there was some positives we we played in the red and blue. It was all based around um, the sponsorship from from the league club, so that sort of makes sense. You know you need to survive some way, but. Um, it's funny because you know Victory and Dera had quite a you know local derby rivalry, yeah. so so to all of a sudden turn around and and you know join together was a 
yeah, it, it was a strange, strange time. But um, I guess, yeah, from my fig tree bias point of view, it was disappointing to leave Harry Graham Park because Terra Park was one of the worst grounds I had <laughs> played on, in my opinion. I agree with I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, so becoming the new home ground was you know, a bit of bit of pill to swallow, but obviously it was across the road from the Leaf Club, so that that made sense. You know, some positives we still stuck with the red as opposed to that horrendous maroon. So um, <laughs> that that was a win for us, and, and we were still the devils. You know, we became the devils, so that sort of stuck with us. But um, obviously, we lost the tree. So <laughs> it's uh, you know, there were some positives and negatives. But look, the, the main thing was that the club was was still still around, but um, and and the junior arms were still going. So you know, the thought was it was going to make the club stronger. And ninety eight, ninety nine, you were in the the second tier of, of Illawarra football and um, still under Dunleavy there. Um, 98 was, I guess, a, a time to, to regroup, but in 99, uh, Western Suburbs won the league and, and made the grand final. It must have been a pretty good feeling to, after a couple of lean years to, to get amongst some trophies and have some success. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously the aim for the club was to always get back to the Premier League because, like I said, uh, you know, even Derry over the years and Fig Tree have had strong history in, in the Premier League so for the club as a whole as a, or the merge club to be to be in the first division sort of didn't feel right but obviously we had to get some quality back on the pitch so that young side that went through some heartache a lot of those guys stuck around and sort of once you get a few few years under your belt we become a bit more game hardened and game weary and we're able to grind out results when we need to and uh, yeah I think Tarawana were in there the same as us, yeah. so we were always vying with them for the top spot. I think they beat us in the grand final in '99. But yeah, there were some good battles, and you know, there's some hard football there. You got to go to to Shelhaven or to Highlands or Helensburg, and you know, it's it's some it's some tough football to get out of the the conference league. So you know, it's, it was a good effort for for a pretty young side, but we had plenty of potential. So it was it was only a matter of time, we thought. And Chris uh, Chris Dunleavy left at the end of that season for yourself. Uh... How do you think, um, or what do you think his strengths were, and and what did you like about his coaching? Yeah, like I said, he, he did a good job because it was a, it was a tough gig to take over from Phil Carr and then have no players, and I'm pretty sure he ran rang them all, <laughs> you know, to try and get them to stay, and they'd all already left. So, you know, it, it was it was a good innings for him to stick it out and and persevere with the young kids. But I guess he, I assume he saw a, a bit of talent in us, so you know, it was a good group to to get along with. So. Yeah, in terms of he did a lot of work. I mean, he was—I remember—he was a truck driver, and he would—he would go to work at one, two in the morning, and then still be at training till eight o'clock at night. And I think he—you um, know—he did some work with me, sort of on my own, more back to goal stuff because I'd moved out of the defence and starting to sort of play closer to to goal and having to come with my back to goal. So he, he really started—you know—he put some time into me to to sort of build my game with the bits that I was missing from from obviously playing. You know, defensively or facing the goal most of my career so you know he, he did well to um to stick it out for three years and luckily we you know we gained some success under him so he obviously uh, had us on the right track yeah definitely and in 2000 western suburbs uh did well in their first season back in the ipl uh finishing in fourth spot behind uh paul Kembler, olympic and and coniston lions uh you had a new coach in larry gaffney how was Larry as a coach, and and what do you recall of the season? Yeah, I guess Larry come in with with some sort of I, I didn't know much about him personally, but obviously he was he was highly regarded as a coach, so it was sort of positive to uh, to get a coach of his stature. And 
I think we ended up getting some some quality players come across as well. I think um, the likes of Neil Harlock got involved, Dewey Glass, Paul Robard. I think Frank Barilla came back as well. So that there was some good talent turned up. So you sort of, you know, you have a good year and people start to come back to the to the club and and uh, get involved. So it's always a positive sign if we can if we can um, get some talent on board and mix it with the, the youth that we brought through. And for yourself, uh, that year uh, you got beaten in the grand final qualifier 4-2 by Wollongong Olympic. Uh, what do you remember of that game? Because it had a pretty uh, uh, weird twist at the end, didn't it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty synonymous game. I think I've already heard it uh, mentioned on a few podcasts of yours. Yeah, we were winning. Uh, I think uh, Dave Cooter scored a goal to put us 2-0 up with probably not not a great deal of time to go, maybe ten minutes, and he's not a regular goal scorer, so he got he, he got a little bit excited and ran to the corner flag with his uh, shirt uh, in his hand. And funnily enough, that was his well, wasn't funny at the time, but that was his second yellow. So he got sent off for scoring a goal, pretty much. And then from there, I think uh, I think Christian Zelvis might have scored, and I think he might have even got both in the last ten minutes when we were down to ten men. We couldn't hang on, and then we got beat. I think it was. Four two in extra time, so I think Richard Lloyd popped up to score. I think Zelvis might have scored again. So yeah, it was uh, we were so close, and and probably that was the best group I'd played with up and uh, at you know up until then in my career. And it was a really good opportunity, and we had the match in the bag, and yeah, pretty much uh, threw it away. For yourself, before we we talk about your to your move from Western Suburbs to to Port Kemble, where I guess think of you. Um, in the black and white stripes. Um, talk a bit about people like Don Martinovsky and, and, and what sort of uh, influence he had on you. Yeah, look, he was um, sort of one of the stalwarts of the club and, and hung around. Um, his brother was on the committee. I think that was part of the reason why um, he was sort of so tied to the club. Billy was uh, club stalwart for years and could still be. And um, Yeah, he was just, you know, just a hard-working, no-nonsense player and, and, you know, never gave up, give us... 120% every day, carrying injuries and all sorts of stuff. So I guess uh, as an up-and-coming player, looking at someone like that, just giving their heart and soul for the, for the team, it was like, you know, you, you look at him and go, well, I, I want to do half as good as that and I'll be all right because, yeah, he just, you know, gave us everything he had every time he came out on the pitch. So it sort of, you know, showed me what I I needed to do to, you know, to succeed at, at that level because he played first grade for a number of years and, yeah, still working hard in his. He would have been mid thirties by then, maybe even older. But um, yeah, still giving her everything he had. And uh, Jason Winnig too. He he had a a season or two there at, at Western Suburb, and you used to work together. So uh, he uh, started an obsession of yours with uh, the number seven. Can you explain that? <laughs> yeah, uh, Jason and I used to used to work together at uh, at Lucing Engineering, and his old man was there as well. So I, I'd like to take the credit for for getting him to the club. I'm not sure <laughs> if that's actually the case, but. Um, convinced him to come across because he was a Northern United stalwart. So um, got him across and uh, I think a few others come with him, maybe Bales as well and yeah. um, Gab O'Brien and we had um, Adrian Thompson in goals too. So the, the few of the, the Northern come back to um, come back to West from <laughs> maybe payback from a few years <laughs> earlier. But um, yeah, look, we were really good mates off the field and, you know, we... we it creates a great atmosphere in the club when you have guys that hang out together, play together, and he he was a, a big fan of the number seven. And yeah, I guess 
uh, I, I took a liking to it as well, and uh, I think I took over the shirt and he had to play in a different number. But um, yeah, it was uh, it's something that stuck with me. And but yeah, that was that was a you know from a off the pitch point of, point of view, you know that we had some some fun times as off the pitch as well as on the pitch. So yeah, you know you, you make good mates through the years, and I've definitely played with plenty of mates. So yeah, makes right, it even so. better. And before we we leave Western Suburbs, just a, an additional question there about you talking about shirts. I, I think I spoke to Matt Bailey about it, um, about the long sleeves. Uh, Western Suburbs weren't short of a dollar, um, especially in the strip department. Were you, were you a fan of the long sleeves? Yeah, we all had the long sleeves. It was a bit of a rage at the time. Um, we actually had to buy them ourselves, to be fair. So oh, really? as, as much as you say they, they uh, okay. Thank we you. had the money, I, I'm pretty sure we... <laughs> put our hands in our pockets for the long sleeve. So if we wanted the long sleeves, we, we bought them ourselves. So, yeah, I guess, I guess it was in the era before the uh, undershirt skins. And, uh, you know, I think Jason will admit he's a pretty bit of a fashion connoisseur, or he was back then. <laughs> so, uh, and Neil Harlock was never uh, never shy to, to sort of uh, get on the bandwagon. He, I think he was heavily involved too. But, yeah, it was just a, an option we had as a kit. And, you know, all the cool kids took it up, as they always do. I uh, was very jealous of you guys, and you probably heard that in my interview with Matt. And, and I stand corrected on uh, going into your skyrocket and, and paying it for yourself. <laughs> no, it's all right. With uh, Paul Kembla, you made the move in 2002, and they were coached by former Socceroo, Adrian Noddy Alston. Can you tell us a bit about how that move came about? And how it, how you got to move to Wetherill Park? Yeah, so um, I, I remember the, my father drinking at the at the pub with with Noddy, and I wasn't sure if if this was true or just something I'd made up in my head. So I, <laughs> I rang Noddy the other day and uh, and asked him. I said, "How did we go about getting me to Port Canberra?" And he he confirmed my story was correct. So he used to be a, a figgy pub regular, and so did my father. And uh, he also told me he'd come and watch a, a couple of games and. Apparently spoke to uh, Gaff and said, you know, I like the look of him. And Gaff uh, apparently didn't uh, think I had what it took to to, to make it, but uh, not he thought differently. So yes, yeah, so via my father, I guess got uh, got in contact with me, and then obviously uh, Emilio was heavily involved once my name was on the um, you know the most wanted list. So uh, and then the yeah, the rest is history. But um, yeah, look in terms of my decision to go, I guess um, I actually had a good chat with Jason when he gave all people about it, and you know a lot of people doubted that I that I'd go there and even play, and I think I got that a lot in my career. I'm not I'm not sure why, but you know I got doubted all the way along that that I wasn't good enough. Not myself personally, this is other people's opinions, yeah. but um, thought I'd give it a shot. And you know as a you know moving into the striker role and having someone like Noddy, you know, come and tap you on the shoulder and say I want you to come and play for me, it's like you know, it doesn't get any better than that. So, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about the money. I mean, I was I was working, so it, it was about playing for a coach of of that stature. And obviously, Port Kembla had the reputation that you know they were already the top club before I joined. So, um, you know, like you know, if Manchester United gives you a call, you're going to go play for them. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it was, it was a no-brainer. And I guess you know the only risk was if I actually played or not. But that was really only up to me. So. I gave it a shot. You definitely did, and uh, people who ever doubted, um, I guess they uh, have slipped into the cracks in the woodwork uh, uh, after the next few years. But 
Adrian himself, how was he as a coach? Like you said, it's it's not every day um, many people in their sort of semi-professional football careers, which is the IPL in a sense, get a chance to be coached by a, a socceroo. Yeah, look, he was very different to anyone else I'd ever been coached um, by before. You know, tactically he was he was next level, and you know we we would start games. You go, you know, don't play with a striker. Go play on the left wing. We're going to start without a striker, and in, in your head you're like, what what what's he even talking about? But um, you know, it, it always seemed to work, and he was a man of actually very few words. You know, we'd go in at half time and. For the first five minutes, everyone come in rumbling, grumbling, and getting their drinks and whatever. And he'd say three or four things and, and send us back on their way. And you know, he had he had a lot of respect from everyone, and and so he should. So you know, everything he said, you took on board, and and you believed in what he said. You know, we'd come in two 0 down, and it'd be like you, you know, it's all good. We've we got them right where we want them. We'll go out and score three goals, and and lo and behold, you'd go out and you'd win 3-2 and he'd just be sitting on the bench saying, I told you so. And, and you know, you, you believe him and then you buy into whatever whatever he tells you. And, and it all, you know, most of the time it, it seemed to work. So he, he wasn't a big fan of goalkeepers, that was for sure. Goalkeepers <laughs> was, uh, maybe it's uh, the striker in him, but he, he definitely didn't have much time for goalkeepers. He was a, a, a class above... Um, he was purely tactical and a lot of it was psychological and, you know, getting us in the right frame of mind and getting us switched on and ready to go. And, you know, he wasn't even... We had other coaches to do the fitness and, and, and everything else. He would turn up and just tell them, tell us what we needed to say. And obviously it was it was very successful. You know, Jeff Costello was there and he, he did a lot of the fitness work. So Tuesday was fitness with the whole club. So we'd all do, you know, you'd all do your sprints and your work and all that together and then... Noddy was very short and sharp too, so it'd be a 45-minute hour session, flat out, train like you play. You know, we had elbows flying, playing with the likes of Rob Cazzoli. He trained exactly the same way he played, so you'd get stray elbows and all sorts of things. But it it hardened you for the weekend. So I, I go to a game on a weekend, and no one's going to hit me as hard as Rob Cazzoli did at training. So I was I was good to go. You know, that was that was the mentality we had, and we had some you know exceptional players. So it. Uh, it made life easy. And that transition to being the striker, whereas you had had a bit of that, I guess, at Western Suburbs, but now that Adrian had moved into that striker role and, and brought you to the club specifically, um, it, it had reaped dividends. And, and in particular, the, in that first year in a Bampton Cup game against Shellhaven, you you scored six goals in 45 minutes. Yeah, that, that was uh, an interesting game. It was it was down in Shellhaven too, so we had the the long trip down, and I think they were only a, a first division side at the time, so we were, you know, definitely going to overpower them. But yeah, that was just one of those games. You know, you just everything you try worked, and I think we won seven one, and it, yeah, it was six nil at half time. But you know, it's just you you play with some quality players. I I probably had the easiest job around. Just had to be in the right places at the right time, and. Uh, you know, get on the ends of, you know, like the likes of Bonatig and Michael Clare was buzzing around. So, you know, it's it's a pretty easy job when you're uh, when you're playing with such quality. And that 2002 season um, in the league, you, uh, Paul Kembla finished third, but you went on to win the grand final against the league champions Kembla Warra. Uh, what do you recall of the the final series? Because uh, the the group, uh, the first grade group, had a had a slogan, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people, I guess, uh, wrote Paul Kembler off, you know, uh, again, being the top club for years. And, you know, we came third, which wasn't wasn't as good as previous years. So everyone's 
sort of thought the, the varnish had rubbed off Paul Kemmler, but um, pretty sure we had a lot of injuries that year, even in the finals. I don't think Rob Cazzoli or Noddy Jr. played in, in the grand final, but yeah, we had a we had a club slogan. I think they had shirts made up and everything, and it was when we made the grand final, and it was uh, who said we'd never make it um, <laughs> because, yeah, we were sort of written off, sort of Kemble Warra were were coming on strong with, uh, I think, led by John Fleming and, and our quality squad over there. And, yeah, they were sort of the team to beat that year and they took the mantle to a degree from Port Kembla. But you're in the grand final. We got to the grand final and uh, anything's possible. And, yeah, we managed to uh, to roll them over. The, the day itself was, you know, hugely professional. Like, everything, you know, I think we went for, you know, morning or lunch at the frat and bus to the ground and all that sort of stuff so it was all you know very professionally done and gets you in that right frame of mind and you know obviously we still had some quality in the team I think you know Minio was there and Michael Clare I think we had Andrew Timms at the back and Nick Polly was still up front so I think I might have still been playing a bit wider as well in games because we had Polly up front so he was the uh the star striker from from years gone by so yeah look you know like I said quality quality squad so but Kemble Warra were no easy beats. They had uh, Mitchell Blows and Matthews Brothers. Uh, Lloydie was in there. So they had a quality side as well. It was just a, just a good experience on the day. And, yeah, pipped them on the day. I think Minio had one of his class games, as he always seems to do in grand finals. And, uh, yeah, we got over the line. And that following year in 2003, uh, Paul Kemble, like you said, uh, retook that mantle as the powerhouse in the league and, and did the double. You won the league by five points, uh, beating Dapto, and then defeated Dapto in the grand final one nil. Uh, what do you recall of this year and 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 the final series? Yeah, I think yeah that was sort of the year. So we we got our mojo back, and Port Kembla were were back on top again. We we got you know we already had a hugely talented squad, and we added some some more quality. Um, I think we ended up with uh, Matt Nash in goals, who come from Shalhaven, and obviously he's shown his quality and. Played a few games in the A League and now Sydney FC uh, goalkeeper coach, so he's, yeah. he's done wonders. Uh, I think uh, Chad Bishop come across. Uh, we had Matt Callahan as well. Um, Trophy might have even come, and Matt Bailey. So we added to you know what was already a, a really strong squad and and, and went even further. Um, as much as this is going to hurt you, I'm pretty sure that was the year I scored uh, six goals in a in a league game against Bally. Yeah, I, I, do, uh, I do recall that, mate. <laughs> yeah, I think we won 10-0 or close to it. Uh, yeah. I think Julio was still playing at the time. I don't, yeah. oh, he might have been player coach. <laughs> it was uh, another one of those days, literally, it was, uh, you know, everything I touched turned to gold. It was actually, <laughs> it's an ironic one because I remember my, my wife bought me a, a new pair of boots that morning and uh, straight out of the box, straight onto the pitch, six goals. So wow. it became a, a bit of a superstition of mine to uh, new boots were straight out of the box and, and onto the pitch. No, none of this wear them in at training. or <laughs> It was uh, shiny new boots were, were the way to go. And in that grand final at Wynn Stadium, it must have been an amazing event. And um, uh, Gary Newell scored the winner, his first goal for the year. So it must have been great times at the club. Yeah, no, it was a good experience. I think it was my first ever game on Wynn Stadium. So, you know, obviously an amazing venue. It's like playing on carpet. So um, Gary Newell scored a winner. And, uh, again, I read some of my old newspaper articles and he didn't he didn't even normally go up for corners. It was normally Timsey that went up and I think he was injured. So Gary went up and uh, got his head on the end of one and, and we won 1-0. I don't think he knew what to do when he'd scored. He just sort of stood there in shock and ran around a little bit. But... Um, 
yeah, that that was a that was a big day. Like you know, that was the Wynn Stadium was was the place to be, and it was a lovely lovely venue to play on. And yeah, you know they they put on the big day, and yeah, it was obviously a good result. My first uh, grand final win, I believe, in in that sort of stature. So uh, yeah, it's a, it a really good experience. But again, it was it was easy to play in in such a quality team. You know, you, you don't have to have to do much. Uh, I think they had Shorty Williams as well, so he was you know. Paul goals of the Premier League, be able to knock a ball from anywhere. So you know, it's easy, easy football when you're you're playing with quality players. And did you think yourself that um, you know people you said uh, other people had doubted you? Um, you'd obviously uh, prove those naysayers wrong, but in your own mind, uh, you must have been quite content that the development in your own game, um, the people that you're with, not just the players, but the Noddy, the committee, it must have just been, I guess, a great sense of feeling that you stayed competitive and and that you're at such a, a fantastic club. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, like I said, they, they did doubt me, but um, I don't think I ever doubted myself. So, like I said, you just pick up what you can along the way. You know, every coach, every player that I played with, has given me something to to add to my game and the individual. Success, you know, like I said, if I didn't play in some of the teams I played in, I probably wouldn't have been able to do what I did. So, you know, yeah, obviously Noddy, Noddy as a coach was a, was a huge facet, but every coach I have along the way, you know, have given me bits and pieces. Everyone sees things differently and, you know, pick something that you maybe can do better or, you know, you don't even think you do, but is a good sign. So, you know, everything helps along the way. So when I look back now, you've, you've really got to appreciate, you know, the time and effort coaches put in and some of, some of them put you know, personal time into me. So I really appreciate that and got to me to where I, to where I got to. And in 2004, um, it's just a positive groundhog day in the sense that the Zebras then um, won another league title, but this time by a staggering 13 points. And then in the grand final, an emphatic 4-0 victory against Picton Rangers, who were no slouches. So there must have been a real thirst and, and desire at, at the club because there was a core group of players there with some other blokes added in at different years. But you guys must have always wanted to set yourself high benchmarks and, and really wanted to succeed. Yeah, I think there was a lot of pride at the club. You know, like there was some, some mainstays. Like Rob Cazzoli was there for years. You know, his, his mum and dad were on the committee. So there's, there's people vested in the club. And obviously Noddy was vested in the club. He's been there for years. And, and it become a habit. Winning was a habit. And I'm pretty sure Noddy might have even said that to us. You know, it becomes a habit. And... and Sometimes we beat teams before we've even turned up. You know, they oh shit, we're playing Port Gambler this weekend. Yeah. You know, here we go again. So, so you know, as long as we turned up and and put in a shift, you know, there was there was a good chance that, that we were going to win because we just had the quality all over the park. Um, you know, Picton were were up and coming. I think they had um, Norm Boardman might have been coaching them, and Brad yeah. was playing as well up front. And and we had some good battles. You know, we travelled up to Picton, which is not an easy trip. You know, there was, uh, I think, Stu Lowry might have been there at the back. So, so we had some good battles. I do remember that grand final, you know. There was there was some sort of delay, and the game kicked off late. I can't remember why, but we were sort of in the tunnel yeah. at Wynn Stadium, in the newsstand. We were using the, the sheds there, and we were literally standing side by side with Picton in the tunnel for maybe five or ten minutes. And you could see they were all sort of on edge. And I think Noddy might have even mentioned it after the game that he knew we won it before we even got on the pitch because we were all just standing there. We knew what was coming, knew what we were going to do. And I think it might have been Picton's first big event, you know, in that regard at Wynn Stadium Grand Final. So a big occasion for them. And 
yeah, they just didn't didn't cope, and we come out of the blocks and you know blew them away. I think I don't think the game was ever in doubt. We we were two or three nil up at half time, I think, and uh, yeah, obviously Minio always turns up for for the grand finals, but I think everyone was just just on point. I think even Callis scored in that game, so you know for him to get a rare goal, so it shows sort of we were how dominant we were. It was uh, I think that was probably the biggest crowd I played in because Picton had a had a good following. You know, they always sing their. Uh, Bush Pig song or whatever it was, so they always had a had a cult following. So yeah, it, it was another good experience. But yeah, I think you know the experience showed out at the end of the day that you know we had some some old steady heads plus plus some younger ones that'll just do all the running. And yeah, I think we uh, blew them off the park to be honest. And you're pretty humble there. You you got your first goal in a grand final. Uh, that must have been uh, from a personal perspective to to contribute on the score sheet and and score in front of a big crowd. It must have been a great feeling. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I got the fourth goal or something like that, so it was sort of beyond. Uh, I got a freebie, but um, yeah, it was, it was good to score in a grand final. I mean, I, I think I, you know, I obviously contributed in, in the grand finals, but um, yeah, the names on the score sheet always go up in lights. I think I hit the post as well. I think Minio's goal might have been I made a run through and hit the post, and he tapped it in. But um, yeah, definitely good to score in a grand final, winning. I think that was the the third in a row. You know, obviously there was a lot of uh, a lot of passion, a lot of partying afterwards. <laughs> that year as well, before we moved on to 2005, you you made the Illawarra representative squad, and and this time in in the in the main grade. So that must have just been another uh, personal achievement to be surrounded by other like-minded players and and people with great capabilities. It, it must have been a great feeling as well. Yeah, again, good to get recognised. But I think Noddy was the coach this time, so it sort of. Uh... Was a bit of a, an easier one to uh, to get into, but um, obviously we won the league by by 13 points. So uh, there was a big chunk of, of Paul Kembler guys going to going to make the squad. Um, but yeah, there's some some good names in there that uh, I look back on now, and you know I've gone on to bigger and better things. I think Rivers Adkovic was in the team. Um, Pete Gaffney, uh, David Savinsky was in there. Chris Smith from Rula, even Ben Boardman. Um, yeah, so some some good names, Daniel Cummings, and that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, good experience. I think we won that game, and I might have scored down in Canberra there as well. But um, obviously, yeah, just a, just a mix with a different bunch of guys, and yeah, it was a we was a bit of pride to represent the uh, the IPL, and uh, yeah, I think we did quite well. I've still got the shirt to this day. I still wear it to training every now and then. So uh, oh, excellent. Managed to survive the years. <laughs> I got the number seven, of course. <laughs> Two thousand and five. From a football perspective, you you joined the Wollongong Wolves, who are who are now being coached by by Noddy, and this was in the the New South Wales NPL. Um, was it a simple move that Adrian had got a yourself and a couple of Port guys to go across, or were you initially a bit tentative about making the move? No, I think it was a no brainer. Um, obviously, Noddy had been good to me, and um, you know, it it taken me a long way in my career. So um, it was just sort of a, an opportunity again to to test myself. Yeah, you know, test myself going to Port Kembla, and um, you know, people thought I wouldn't play or whatever, and I obviously um, achieved a lot there. And then, yeah, I was uh, would have been 25, so I was like, yeah, why not give it a go? You know, MPL. I didn't know much about it at the time, but. Um, yeah, it was sort of just a natural progression to uh, to follow Noddy to to the Wolves. So, a bit of a different setup. And historically, it was a, a time where um, the NSL had stopped and and the A League was about to kick off. So, um, some of the players that were initially there had to leave along the way. So, it must have been a bit of a weird feeling in itself. 
Yeah, it was. So we, we turned up and obviously pre-season, which was I think was a shortened pre-season because it was sort of back-to-back with our, or it didn't quite cross over with our season. But um, yeah, we had some sort of leftovers from, from the NSL Wolves days. So I think I think Stewie Young was on the book still and Alvin Checkerley and yep. Daniel Beltrami. But I think Stu Young left before the season even started. So I think he took off to potentially Perth. Um, signed with the glory and then but then uh, Checkley was around and Adam Hughes was there as well but other than that it was pretty much made up of uh, IPL players uh, and then I think Beltrami even left halfway through the season to go to Adelaide so it was sort of it was a real strange year people that were the vying for A-League contracts but nothing had started yet and it was the whole new league and summer soccer and that sort of thing so it was, it was a really strange strange league to play in to begin with, but once we got our got going, you know, it's just like any other league. But uh, yeah, I, I took a little while to adapt to the league. Uh, obviously, playing against other teams, you know, like the Marconi and Apia Leichhardt, same sort of thing for them. They had some ex NSL players mixed with, you know, youngsters and others vying for A League contracts. So, so there was a you know a decent level of football, but um, it took me a while to to get going and and get up to speed. But but once I did, I think I, I found my feet and. Yeah, did quite well. And for yourself, did you sort of uh, lick your lips at, at that added challenge of a better quality of defender that you had to play against? Yeah, it's a funny one, though. I, I never really sort of looked at it that way. I just, you know, wanted to do the best I could. I didn't really care who I was playing against. I think I um, I just worked hard and, and did what, you know, Noddy wanted me to do. And, um, you know, whatever came after that was sort of a reward for, for the effort. So... But it was good to, you know, it was more the teams we were playing. So, you know, you'd go and play against a Marconi or a Sydney United. And, you know, these are the teams that, you know, as a kid you watch and play in the NSL. Albeit it was the State League, but there's still some, some big names and, yeah. you know, big clubs there that have a lot of history. You know, playing at Marconi's ground was pretty cool and, you know, Sydney United's ground. And, yeah, there was still some, you know, the, the league was still littered with, um, you know, NSL slash A-League quality players. So, yeah, it was definitely... Uh, a good challenge and a good experience. And uh, during this year, when I, I saw your timeline, I, I wasn't aware of uh, of this this trip that you'd made to Malaysia. So, can you tell the listener a bit about how uh, your trip to Johor FC in Malaysia came about and and what you'd experienced? Yeah, this this was a, a crazy whirlwind experience. So we played Marconi away on like a Sunday or a Saturday night and we had a one-all draw. I played a decent game, you know, scored the equaliser and probably could have scored the winner. You know, I went into the sheds after the game, come out, my wife was waiting for me and, and a guy walks up to me and says, um, I can't remember his name, but I, I'm from Johor FC uh, in Malaysia and I'm the coach and... <laughs> You know, I'd, I'd like you to, to see if you're interested to come to Malaysia. And I was, I honestly thought he was just taking the piss. And um, <laughs> I, I gave him my number and said, yeah, no worries, mate. And just sort of kept kept going back to back to Wollongong. And uh, I think Monday or Tuesday he rang me and said, you know, we're interested. And um, he was the coach. He was an Aussie guy who was the coach. And the Malaysian League at the time was allowed three imports. Yep. Um and they had two other Aussies, and they were looking for a striker. And still, I was a bit sceptical, and then got off the phone and did some research and found that the club was legit and sort of it, was, it all added up. And so then I obviously had a, a bit more of a conversation with him, and he sort of laid out the um, plan of... So the season had already commenced, so they wanted me to get straight over there and 
and get straight into the season because I wasn't sure if I was going there on a trial or, or what the what the deal yeah. was. It was all new to me. Um, he's like, no, the season's already started. Um, we need a third. You know, we want to bring you over and, and get straight into it. So, so yeah, I spoke to I'm pretty sure Jock Melando was on the board for the Wolves. He was the contact. Uh, yeah, sort of my contact with the Wolves. I spoke to Noddy, spoke to the Wolves, and they vetoed the move. And then by Thursday, I think I was on a plane to Malaysia. So it was it was a crazy experience. I'd moved my I quit my job, moved my wife in with my mother-in-law. Uh, she was actually pregnant at the time, so it was all oh, wow. happening. And um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just a, an opportunity for for professional football, and it was it was yeah, it was it was all surreal, but it all happened so quickly. So yeah, by by that Thursday, I was in Malaysia. Um, so then when I got there, it was uh, once again it was a bit of a whirlwind experience. I got there, um, we would train at six o'clock in the morning. So as soon as the sun come up, we're on the training pitch, and you're <laughs> finished by eight o'clock because otherwise it was. Uh, it was too hot, and then the games were played at nine o'clock at night. And then the weekend there was supposed to be a game, but it was cancelled because it was Chinese New Year, so people couldn't travel or something along those lines. So we ended up going down to Singapore, across the bridge to to Singapore, and we played. I'm pretty sure it was like the under twenty three Olympic side for the Singapore okay. national team, and uh, we beat them two one. And I scored both goals. Pretty sure I missed the penalty, but tapped in the rebound. And then they come to me and. And I hadn't even signed a contract then. I was just over there. They'd put me up in an apartment block, and the plan was my wife was going to come over, you know, once I got myself settled and that. And then uh, the day after we played, they come to me and said, uh, we actually only want to sign you for six weeks to begin with to, to see how you go, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. So mm. that was a, you know, a bit of a shock to the system. I'm in a foreign country. I had a, a player agent friend friend of a friend who offered to, to sort of help me out while I was over there and I asked the club for the contract to, to send to him to have a look at and they started to get a bit funny about contract and why I wanted to see it and it all started to get sort of a bit uh, bit fishy and a bit sus so um, yeah look, and then there were some other some other issues on the family side of potentially my, my wife not being able to come over and a few other issues so had issues with my family potentially coming over, issues with, you know, the the contract and, and the club sort of seemed to, to play a bit of uh, silly buggers. So all in all, I um I rang my boss back because I'd quit my job. I said, have you replaced me yet? And he's like, no, we haven't replaced us. I said, so if I, if I come back, will you, you know, can I have my job back? And he said, yep, don't worry. So, yeah, I had a free trip to Malaysia for a week <laughs> and... Um, Got back on a plane a week later and come back home. And yeah, so it was a, a very fleeting professional career, but um, an interesting one nonetheless. And, and a few years later, I played with, uh, when I went to Apia, I played with uh, one of the Aussies that was actually at, at the club at the time. And he actually admitted that it was probably the, the best thing you could have done was to just go home because, because there was only three imports. It was, um, you know, everything was lumped on the import. So if you didn't play well or, you know, it was all on you. So there was like 15 Malaysian national players, you know, locals plus the three Aussies. And I remember at training, you would go to training and you're all right, get in twos to do a drill. And the two Aussies that had been there together went um, went together and all the Malaysian guys teamed up together. And I'm standing there, you know, left with the odd <laughs> Malaysian guy out that was too, too slow to pick up a, a buddy. So, 
yeah, it was it was very very different feeling, but um, an interesting one and a good story to tell. But yeah, that was sort of the beginning and the end of of my professional career in in a seven day whirlwind trip to Malaysia. You must be proud of yourself, though, in in a sense to, and I guess have the support of your family that you you made some pretty courageous decisions um, within that time frame to say, well, I'm going to chase this opportunity. So looking back on it, although you might say, well, it was only fleeting, but still you had to make some some big decisions for yourself and your family and and try and chase a dream so you must be happy with yourself in that sense oh yeah absolutely like it was it was like i said to begin with i, I didn't think it was real and you know i didn't think this was how a, a professional career would play out but um yeah it was it was definitely look you know <laughs> again it's it's a funny one but it's still a good experience you know you go over there and yeah, you know, the possibilities to earn some decent money were there, but yeah, I, I think I made the right decision from from a family point of view. Like I said, my wife was pregnant at the time, so um, it would have been a huge ask to to move my family and and have a child pretty much in Malaysia. So sometimes you have to make a few sacrifices, and uh, I guess this was one of them. But um, yeah, it was definitely a, a, a you know a free trip to Malaysia, so it's always a positive. Yeah, definitely. In that um, same year, you, you had a, a little stint back with Paul Kembler, who are now being coached by Harry Satin. So um, was that to, I guess, tide you over until the next MPL season? Yeah, so the MPL and, and the local leagues sort of, uh, they they didn't totally cross over. So you could go back and play. And because I'd gone from the Wolves, well, actually, I went back to the Wolves because the Johor trip was only a week. I came back and, and finished the Wolves season. So that 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 was pretty much I reversed all the all the deals I did to go over <laughs> and I came back and I I saw out the season. So I do remember a game for the Wolves at, at Wynn Stadium and had people yelling at me from the crowd saying I should have stayed in Malaysia and all sorts of things. <laughs> and yeah, you know, again, doubt, you know, people were doubting. I think it was I think they were opposition fans. Well, I hope they were anyway because I, I hope they weren't Wolves fans because I I did score a few goals for them still. So pretty sure they were they were the away fans. But yeah, copped a bit of stick for it. But um, yeah, so then once the Wolves season finished, um, the IPL season was still going. So then I went back to Port, which was just an easy transition because obviously I knew everyone at the club other than um, Noddy wasn't there anymore. But um, yeah, you sort of went back to, you know, obviously I had a lot of loyalty with Port Kemmer, so I went back there. But yeah, uh, Harry Harry was the new coach, so um, obviously huge shoes to fill and, you know, Noddy was the end of an era. So, you know, you envy the guy that has to take over from Noddy. But um, yeah, so Harry was there and... Um, Obviously, the club felt a little different, but you know the the committee and all that was still there. So, I guess the the high expectations were still there, but I don't think they, uh, you know, they got the same outcomes. But um, yeah, I went back there to uh, to see out the rest of the season with them. And then you uh, joined RPL Leichhardt, and um, how did this move come about? And how did you fare at the Tigers? Uh, again, yeah, it was just I think his name was Les Desellers. I don't even know how he got my number. I just got a call from him and said he was from Arpia and interested interested in me uh, coming to join Arpia. And yeah, the money was the money was pretty good. So I mean, I was working. I was working at uh, AVB or Transfield, so I had a job. Yeah. But um, yeah, this was this was sort of you know talking six or seven hundred dollars a game, wow. you know, with bonuses and all sorts of stuff. So. Hard to turn down, and I think um, Mitchell, Mitchell Blows had signed for him as well. So I had a, a Wollongong buddy to uh, to travel up there with, and um, but it was huge commitment, and I don't think I, I, I realised what commitment it was 
before I, well, when I signed, I just maybe saw the dollar signs a bit and went, yeah, why not? But, um, yeah, I was leaving work. I think I'd finished work at 4 or 4.30, literally straight in the car. We'd carpool myself and Mitch, um, and we'd go straight to training. And then from training back home, and I'd get home about 10.30 and back to work the next day. And it was a pretty pretty hard slog because we'd be training two it was pre-season sometimes three times a week and wasn't the healthiest uh, lifestyle either because I think we'd um we'd go to training and and then on the way home get KFC or something on the on the highway on the way back down to Wollongong so doing pre-season training and then getting KFC on the way home so um probably not a <laughs> not a healthy option but you know at nine ten o'clock at night there's not much available so I think I did uh I think I lasted the whole pre-season I think I played three games and then I was like, this is not for me. I, I wasn't enjoying the football and it was just too much of a drain on the family and my work life. And I'm pretty sure the last game I actually played was we played against the Wolves at Wynn Stadium and I scored twice. <laughs> and I think I ended up with three goals for the year. And I remember looking a few years ago back into the archives and I'm pretty sure I was still leading goal scorer for Arpia for the year. So obviously the year was a pretty... Um, did one for RPS, so I probably made the right decision to uh, to head back to Wunga. As I've uh, noted in my head here during this interview, you're a very humble man, and and that would have been one of the most bizarre Golden Boot awards that you've won. You've won uh, quite a few in your time. You've got a bag full of them, um, but to win that one at three goals must have been one of the strangest ones. Yeah, I don't think I would have won a trophy. Um, <laughs> they um, they never told me or anything. It's just something I. I can't remember why I was looking up something on the RPA website and I went back through the history and I was listed. I think it was me and one other person with three goals. So <laughs> I had three in the first three games, so it would have been a long year. Yeah, look, on the individual awards, obviously it's always nice to to sort of win individual awards. But again, I like I said, I, I had it pretty easy. I had some great service over the years. I mean... I don't think you get much better than Chad Bishop and Michael Clare to, to whip balls in for you. And, you know, Minio always created havoc, so he'd draw three and four plays. So I had one of the easier jobs. But, yeah, look, you know, I think uh, I just had the knack to get in the right place at the right time. I wasn't, you know, I don't think I was a super skillful player or, you know, I don't take five and six players on. I'd work hard and, and just get on the end of on the end of stuff. So I just had a knack for, for knowing where to be, I guess. That was that was probably my main attribute that I think got me to where I did. And and on reflection, do you think looking back when you you said it early on in your in your junior and even your youth grade career where you were playing at sweeper that you could read the game that that was transferable into the striking position? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I just I just seemed to have a you know I, I it's something that came without even thinking. Like I, I don't ever remember having to think about where to be and. Uh, the funniest thing I remember as a striker is if, if I was running towards goal and I thought about what is it, what I was going to do, I would miss or the keeper <laughs> would save it. But if I if I didn't have time to think and you just let your you know, your muscle memory or whatever take over, you you know, you would score. But I think when you have too much time and you think about it, you're uh, you, you you sort of second guess yourself. So yeah, just just came over, you know, over time and just found out what worked and like I said you you can if I can read the game pretty well and know where I need to pop up on the far post to score a goal or whatever, that's that's what I would do. You had another year at Port, and and then, but after that, in that was two thousand six with under John Fleming, and and you obviously 
showed some loyalty to to the great committee and the great club at Port Kemba. Um, was that the main reason you you stayed there? Yeah, I think so. I guess because I'd gone back there from the Wolves and then went to Arpia and back there, I was sort of just a an easy transition to go back to. I was I was still working for AVB and Transfield, so Emilio was also my boss at work. So you know, <laughs> you sort of probably couldn't go anywhere else. So it was a it was an awkward conversation when I did finally leave. But yeah, it was just an, an easy transition, and you know, you go back to a club that you know, even though Noddy wasn't there anymore. Like I said, the committee had been down there for years, and some of them are still there now. That you know, it was it was a it was a very you know they knew my family and you know they knew they knew everyone and everything about me. So you know you turn up and it's it's like going to your grandmother's house and that sort of thing. So it was a no-brainer there for a while. And before we talk about uh, Bulleye FC, where you you joined uh, rejoined Noddy um, in 2007, do you look back at at that stint at Port Kembla as a huge highlight? Not just the the playing, but the interaction with you know, a, a household name in Noddy, but but the people, the committee, the players, it must have, you must look back on it with great fondness. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, Port Campbell were a great club and like I said, it was a family atmosphere, had all sorts of different days and, you know, my mum was heavily, heavily involved. She'd be there every week and uh, it, it helped that I did have an Italian background. So um, my mum's side of the family is actually Italian and I do remember um, a funny story that, my mum used to come to every game home and away and she was there one day and a couple of Italian guys were talking in Italian and she turned around and started talking in Italian to them and they they sort of stopped and spoke to her and they're like, we see you at all the games, you know, why why um, why are you here? What, what's your association with the club? And she's like, my son plays. <laughs> and they're like, who's your son? And she's like, Shane McGurr. And they all were blown away because I was actually Italian, but with a surname like McGurr, you never put two and two together. So, yeah, I guess, you know, that's the sort of thing. And, and the, the passion for the club and the committee, and there's so many helpers in the background. You know, we had Carlo Nottriani for years. You know, he'd make sure your shirts are right and hang them up and, you know, pack up. You would just literally walk in and throw all your gear in a bag and turn up the next week and it's all washed and ready to go. And, you know, there was, there was heaps of people like that, you know, the groundsmen and obviously Emilio and Maria and all those, they were, they were you know, they, they live and breathe the club. So, so to play for a club like that, you know, is, is special. And obviously the success that comes with it is, is a lot down to, you know, all those sort of people's hard work. Bulleye FC in 2007, from one, I guess, strong club in the south to a, to another powerhouse in the north, it must have been great to to get back and and play under Noddy and and to play at another great ground such as Balls Paddock. Yeah, I, I did always enjoy playing at Balls Paddock, and um, I honestly can't remember why why it happened in 2007. But you know, there was a few of us that sort of went across or were already there, so it was sort of a, a Paul Campbell reunion of Bulleye because <laughs> um, obviously Bailey Bales is a is a Bulleye boy, so that that a no-brainer, but uh, Leprotto was there as well. He played for us a few years at Port. Um, then Michael Clare came, Maccabee, and, and Keller was there as well because uh, I know he's from Ellensburg, so it's a bit closer to home from him. But obviously having Noddy again was, um, you know, it's, you stick with what you know, and we know he he knows how we play and how, how what we can do for him and what he can do for us. So, you know, it was an easy decision as much as, I, you know, I love Port Kembla. I think, you know, Noddy was just a big, as big a part of my career as Port Kembla was, so... Yeah, and um, yeah, to look to play at Ball Static, I, I think I always played quite well there. I've always had a 
was sort of a different but a special atmosphere. I don't know if it's because it's on the side of the hill behind the hospital and, you know, typical rural ground, like you say, and you kick the ball over the over the grandstand at the other end and you hit someone's house. So, you know, <laughs> it's sort of local football for you. And, uh, yeah, it just had a, had a good vibe and there were some good players there. I think um, Matty Naylor come across from Tarawana as well and Zadkovic was obviously, I think it was Luke Zadkovic, was, yeah. uh, was obviously a bull-eye boy. And, and we got Nick Stavroulakis down from, I think he was at Sydney United. So, and then he's, over the years, gone back to the NPL and done quite well. So, yeah, again, we had a had a pretty strong squad. That year, uh, you had a, a battle with the league champions, Dandaloo, who had a strong team in themselves. So uh, it still must have been great to, at that point in your career to be still uh, mixing it with the best and, and playing in final series. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, Dandaloo were the up-and-coming, the new the new Paul Kembler. They'd signed everyone under the sun and <laughs> had the backing of the... Pretty sure they were is when they moved to their their new ground, well, which is now probably their old ground, the one next to the highway there, next to the pub. So, yeah, yeah they they had all the cash uh, around, and I guess you know it, over the years you it's almost the same players you battle against, but just uh, with a different shirt on. So, <laughs> I know uh, I'm pretty sure Normie Wicker was there at Dandy, who um, I had many battles with with Normie over the years. He was sort of the hard-nosed defender that I came up against most. So he hated me, I hated him. That was sort of a mutual respect. Um, so he was there and a couple of the other guys from, from Kemlawara and sort of the teams in, that you go up against. So, yeah, it was a, it was a new atmosphere and you know, a new club, but same same as Port Kembla. You know, they have some committee there, the long stalwarts and a lot of passion in the club. Obviously run slightly different, but the same feeling, you know, like that they're everyone's heavily invested in the club and, you know, we just want to make sure that you're happy and, you know, we try and get the results on the pitch. And unfortunately, uh, you did, uh, you put yourself, you scored a volley against Dandaloo to put your, put your team Bulleye into the grand final, but unfortunately you, you went down to Albion Park Wiger Eagles at Cream Park. It still must be happy to be there and, and trying to get silverware. Yeah, obviously that was a funny one because, you know, we made the grand final. Yeah, I scored at, uh, I think it was at uh, Wollongong United's ground and I think I had a shocked, a shocked look on my face as the goalkeeper did. It was just sort of a, a speculative volley that went in and we won 1-0. Um, yeah, the grand final was a was a strange experience, I guess, because, you know, at Paul Kembler we were, you know, we were a three for three, so it sort of felt like the same thing all over again. But obviously Bulli had a bit of a different vibe about the club. I think they had a huge curse that was only broken recently by um, by a Bales-led team, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, as much as you don't think about that sort of stuff now, you know, you look back on it and, yeah, uh, White Eagles were just too good for us on the day. Again, that was a, another club that had sort of picked up a lot of um, a lot of ex-players from Kemblewara and the like. So, I think it might have been as O'Brien might have been out there and a few others. So, you know, the same same faces you come up against just with different colour shirts on. But um yeah, we didn't get the result this time. I guess we didn't have the um the Port Kembler vibe about us and we carried the bull eye curse with us. So <laughs> yeah. Is that only a, a reflection or or, or, did, or did you get a feeling that it was spoken about or for yourself personally, you didn't care. You you knew what you had to do and you knew Noddy's instructions or was there a vibe that you felt? No, I don't. I don't ever remember it. Not to say there wasn't one, but I, I think we were sort of, you know, we'd come off. You know, Noddy was at the helm, and you know, there was plenty of Port Kembla players there. So I think we we thought we had what we needed to to uh, 
to get the job on the day, but um, yeah, just just didn't turn up. And uh, look, it was it was another great day. Um, White Eagles had a huge following there. There was you know red, white, and blue everywhere. So <laughs> I think the bullo, you know, the passion was there, typical to the old um, Port Kembla days, where you know. Uh, I think the Bulleye won the reserves, maybe. I think Pato might have played in the reserves, won the reserves that day. So it was a good feeling about the club. And I don't really, didn't really know about the curse back then. I only know now looking back on it. But no, I, I thought we, you know, we had the players and what it takes to make it. But um, I can blame probably Chad Bishop. I think I wore his boots in the grand final. Um, <laughs> just, I was always, always liked a new pair of boots. So I think they got knocked out through the years. So I think I borrowed a yellow pair of boots off him. And um, I don't know if I had my best game. So I'll just blame Bish. <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy for you to go with that as well. <laughs> 2008 is a strange one in the sense that you you scored 16 goals, but the team wasn't as successful. But you also picked up uh, a mid-season injury when you got kicked in the head. What happened in that year? Yeah, I don't know. I think we just didn't have what it took. I mean, yeah, I did get injured, but we still had a again, we still had a quality side, but um, just couldn't put it together. I don't know. I can't put my finger on that one. It's probably the strange, one of the strangest seasons I've had. Probably the first serious injury I had so um, yeah I was playing against Mark Trough of all people who was a teammate of mine at, at uh, Paul Kembler for a few years and I had the ball and went to turn with it and uh, sort of stumbled over and the ball's gone beside me as I've gone to turn and I've stumbled over and he's gone to clear the ball and uh, pretty much nailed me straight in the eye so um, I didn't get knocked out but I I obviously hit the ground in a heap and the referee come over and I remember telling him, I said, I can't see out of my eye. And I was freaking out and and, and then I put my head up and he goes, you can't see because your eye's closed. So it pretty much closed instantly. So he got me right on the, um, yeah, so right on the on the eye with his toe. So yeah, I was out for, for a decent amount of time that year and um, I ended up having to have um, laser surgery because I had some retinal damage. So he, he didn't miss and yeah, so that was probably my first, serious uh, injury so it was a bit of a, a strange year for me because I'd, I'd never dealt with you know major injury like that before so I missed probably oh, four or five weeks and then even when I come back you know you're a bit hesitant because yeah. an, an eye injury was pretty you know pretty hectic but I, I, I did still score a few goals so I didn't didn't impair my vision too much to see where the <laughs> goal was but um, yeah I think I think it was a pretty disrupted year personally and I can't remember as a team but I, you know obviously yeah, we just couldn't couldn't get it done. Was it at the end of that year? Although you joined uh, your junior club, uh, West Illawarra, back in two thousand and nine, uh, and and Neil Harlock was part of part of the reason why to convince you to come back. But did you have serious thoughts after that injury that you know you'd been playing at the top for so long? You had a, a young family that you thought, well, maybe this is it. I'm going to retire. I don't know if I ever thought about retirement. I think, you know, I thought I could play forever and still to this day, I think I, I could probably play. But um, no, it was just, I don't know. I think, you know, I guess not having successful years at Bulleye and yeah, it was a tough one. I, I'd always had a good relationship with Neil and, and always been involved. I think he was president of West at the time and he's always talking to me regularly about, you know, about his vision for the club and he had some, you know, big visions and, he might have uh, coaxed me back with uh, Adidas strip or something like that, but um, <laughs> yeah, like like I said, I, I had a good relationship with Neil, so I think I just you know I played first grade for ten years and I had a young family then. What was it two thousand and nine or two thousand eight? So I had a you know two year old and a four year old, and uh, what's been it would have been you know ten. So 
you know, 10 years of first grade football, you know, training two, three nights a week, you know, fully committed because you're, you're a contracted player. So it's none of this. I couldn't be bothered going to training tonight. You know, I'll just give it a miss and just turn up on Sunday. You know, if you didn't train, you didn't play and you obviously wanted to play every week. So it, it was a big commitment for, for me, for my family, for my wife. You know, she's had 10 years of me out of the house two and three nights and, and Saturdays. And so, yeah, I just sort of, I think thought it was time to sort of wind back. Obviously, West, you know, West were my junior club, and would you know, you always want to go back. You see a lot of stars these days, you know, go back to their junior clubs. Yeah. And I think Iron Robin's gone back to his first club and helping them out even to this day. So you know, it was always probably an intention at some point to go back and help them out. And uh, I think they had, you know, they had a good vision, and um, you know, they got Julio Miranda on board to coach. So the club sort of looked like the the prospects were good. So I was hoping I could. Uh, you know, go back and, and help them out. And uh, in that year, um, it was a fairly successful one. Uh, you were runner-up that year, and, and Julio, um, you know, I've been involved with him uh, when he was at Bowgown. He's a, he's a great guy and, and technically and tactically very switched on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was very thorough. And um, I think he had, uh, he was he Grant Hughes, I think it was. Yeah. Um, he was the, the sort of, so we had this full, he was well into his fitness and, and real like thorough programs, and then Julio was very technical. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good experience, but um, yeah, it was, it was good to be back at the, at the club and hoping to, you know, I was getting I was 29 then, so hoping to bring some of what I learnt from, you know, my trips around the the Premier League to back to the club and and help out the younger guys. But um, yeah, I think I was starting to, to slow down a little, and uh, but I still. Yeah, still scored a few goals here and there, but um, yeah, probably not as successful as I wanted it to be. But um, back up against Balgownie of all teams, so, like I said, they were the bugbear of my whole career. So start, start fig tree versus Balgownie, and almost end the same way. So, oh, well, I, I, I've seen plenty of years there where you you put a few goals against uh, the other <laughs> black and whites when you're at Port. So uh, I think you did okay. Uh, at the end of that year. Um, you made a huge move yourself and your family to Western Australia. Um, was that a job opportunity? And, and did you think, oh, I'll have to bed myself in and the family and sort things out before I play or I don't play again? Uh, yeah, so it was it was work-related. So I worked, a lot of our work um, was in and around Blue Scope Steel. So um, obviously in, in that period, Blue Scope sort of stopped spending all their money and being contractor, I was uh, out of a job. So... Yeah, did a bit of job searching and and ended up on a, an expansion in WA. And originally, I actually hadn't planned to to come and stay. It was just more of a eighteen month, two year project, coming in some good money, and then and then move back and see what happens. But um, ten years later, we're still here. <laughs> on the soccer front, I'd actually um, contacted. That was probably the first thing I did once I knew I was moving. Was contacted a few soccer clubs. I'd had my soccer club teed up before I'd uh, <laughs> even left New South Wales. So, yeah, I came over and had no idea sort of of the, the competition or, or, you know, even where we're going. It's in Bunbury, which is in southern WA, so we're about two hours sort of south of Perth, so very similar to, uh, you know, Wollongong to Sydney, obviously a bit less, but everything in Perth a bit further away, or everything in WA. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'd uh, made contact with a, with a couple of soccer clubs and they got back to me and said, yep, come down and... Yeah, just ended up at the the local club here, and um, obviously, pretty much turned up at training the first Tuesday night after I'd got off the plane. So I was straight into it. Was it a bit of a a culture shock to to see that it was 
back to being called soccer and that AFL was uh, the predominant game in the state? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a different vibe. Soccer definitely hasn't got the stature over here that it does over east. Um, in Perth, a little differently. So some of the, the soccer clubs are still decent size, but down south, it, it is a very um, AFL-dominated um, area. And to be brutally honest, I despise AFL even more now than I did when I was in New <laughs> South Wales because they are so one-eyed over here, it's ridiculous. Um, so we landed here in 2010, so World Cup year. Um, I think Australia won one of their games 2-0 or whatever it was and you watch the local or the news and the the footies in or the AFL is in the off season but you have a story on um, you know this player's gone on a trip away with his wife this player's had a baby this player's got an injury oh yeah and Australia won 2-0 at the World Cup and you're like in my head I'm like where have I moved to this loony land so yeah I've still to this day despise AFL despite um, you know, my workmates now and everyone, they all talk AFL. I've been to two AFL games since I've been here in 10 years and <laughs> they are, they were both in a corporate box where we got fed. So that, that was about as good as my AFL experience gets. <laughs> and, and I guess another ironic thing is I'm now a, a Perth Glory member despite despite how much the, the sort of Wolves Perth Glory history yeah. goes back. Um, you don't have much choice when there's only one club in the whole state. So... Obviously, still like the game and watch the A League. So, um, yeah, I'm a Perth Glory member, and it's quite ironic because I hear people talking about the uh, the Wollongong Wolves Grand Final, and <laughs> yeah, so I'm on the other side of it now. And the club you're at, let the listener know who they are, and and you've now been there, like you said, ten years, and you're in your eleventh year at the club. Yeah, so I played for just a local club called Australind. Um, they were just yeah, just literally down the road, so. I uh, actually actually haven't played this year because I've taken up coaching. So I've coached my boys that have started playing now for the last few years. But um, up until last year, I still you know still had a run around. I think we uh, won the league over here in 2013. In the first five years I was here, I won the Golden Boot over here four times. So I still <laughs> kept doing what I knew how to do. And but yeah, I've slowly sort of got less and less involved with the game at a playing level. I did my uh, knee in 2015. So that sort of put an end to any sort of first grade playing. I um, have wound it right back since then. But yeah, this year has been, obviously with COVID, it's been a, a crazy year, but um, I'm coaching my boys both play at the uh, MPL level now. So we uh, regular trips to Perth to um, yeah to take on the big guns up in Perth. And how do you find uh, coaching your kids and, and coaching in general? Oh, look, I, I really enjoy coaching. I don't know if I could coach like the Saturday park football with the uh, you know, the kids that just get told to come and play soccer. But this level is good. The kids want to be there and you can get uh, a bit more technical and tactical and speak the soccer language and they understand and they want to learn. So, you know, I enjoy it. It's it's a different challenge and it's hard trying to tell people to do what you know they should be doing. And, yeah, look, and, and teenagers are obviously a, um, a whole different uh, kettle of fish as well. But, um, no, look, I've had a good, you know, a good young group for... Um, I've coached them for three years now, and um, yeah, there's plenty of talent there. It's just I don't know if they realise how good they can be. I guess that's my job as a coach. Yeah, definitely. You've spoken before about um, some of the players you've played with and against. Uh, back to to Rob Cazzoli and 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 some other hard men like Mark Troth and and Gav O'Brien. Um, uh, what made them so tough? Oh, look, uh, you know um, they're never going to pull out of a challenge. I, I remember some. My one of my first first grade games, even back for West, was against Port Kembla of all people again, and 
I came up against Rob Cazzoli and I was a you know young young striker and I uh, remember Rob Cazzoli come over and pretty much just elbowed me in the head in in back play and I was just stunned and shocked and I'm like what's this all about and I, I pretty much went and played right wing in front of the linesman just so I thought I would be um, a little bit more protected because I was just yeah you know and that was that was the way he played that was the way he trained and looked. Like I said, he you know he he was a hard man. He didn't take anything from anyone, and you know he would he would train exactly the same way. So if you weren't prepared for it, you know you were going to get belted at training. And and the same with Troppy and Gav and a few others. You know they were they just were 110 percent committed. Oh, I remember another funny story about Gav O'Brien. He I think him and he was playing for us at West, and Neil Harlock was there as well. And I think Troffy was on the other team, and those two had a run in against <laughs> each other. And Neil Harlock turned to me and he said, I'm playing wherever Gab's playing next year because I'm not going anywhere near that. So that's, that's <laughs> you know, they just never never pulled out of a challenge. And oh, another funny story about Gab O'Brien, I don't know if you remember, uh, Adrian Thompson, goalkeeper, was yeah. renowned for um, for goalie runs. <laughs> so we were playing um, Kemba Wara one day for West. Tomo was in goals, Gab was on the team, and Tomo's gone on one of his infamous runs. Uh, got into almost central midfield and then tried to play a one-two with Gav or someone, and and he went for the return and he was he was disappointed that he didn't get the ball back. Well, anyway, we lost the ball and um, so Kemba Warrior were on the attack and Gav O'Brien and Tomo have gone and chased <laughs> to try and win the ball back and have actually cleaned each other up and both ended up going home in ambulances. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was a Crazy, crazy day, yeah. But it was one of his uh, infamous runs that he was renowned for or trying to take strikers on in the six-yard box, which he did on a regular basis. And set-piece specialists, you, uh, Matt Bailey and Chad Bishop were listed as uh, your guys that you sort of, that stood out for you? Yeah, look, you know, dead balls. Is, um, you, you don't want anyone else other than those to want it. Um, yeah, Bishop scored some great three kicks over the years and even just crosses in general, you know, like, Put it on a plate for you to get on get on the end of them. So you know some great service. So look, there's many more names I could add to that list. I mean, even you know even Minio on the ball on a dead ball, and you know there's there's some really good. You know, even Shorty wasn't bad free kick taker. So you know there's plenty of names you could list. And and you spoke about it before about uh, opposition players in in Normie Wicker and and the Matthews brothers. Uh, uh, what made them you know hard challenges to play against? Oh, look, normally, normally, especially, you know, we'd, we'd get in each other's ears. There'd be a physical battle. There'd be a mental battle. There'd be, you know, you know, there'd be some dirty stuff going on. But look, it was all, it was all in the heat of battle. And we knew we were up, you know, we were both up for it. And, um, and, you know, you'd do anything to, um, to, to put the opposition off. I mean, look, we had, I remember plenty of run-ins with Chris Lansdowne and, and the like who, you know, I know Rob Cazzoli be into him pulling his dreadlocks and all sorts of stuff just to try and rattle him because you you do anything you could to um, you know, to to unsettle him. And if you know if he snapped, he he'd be gone and he's he's no danger to us. So yeah, look, you know, you, they try and get in your head and look. Normie was probably one of the best at it, and we had some some good battles over the years. And jokers, um, you've played with plenty of guys. Uh, you listed a couple of blokes down, um, and 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 I guess that's the uh, the beautiful part of our our game uh, is, and team sports. I guess in general that you get to not just win stuff, but you get to have a bit of fun and 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 have some friendships. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, um, 
yeah, there's always the Jokers and the Larrikins. I mean, Jason Wenig was was good for that. Even Shorty and and Matt Callahan, they they were always up for a laugh and a joke. And you know, even I played with the the Barilla brothers and well, cousins, and um, you know, there was there was plenty of Jokers around. Even um, Terry Dowd was probably one of the the biggest Jokers we ever had. And as a you know, he was at Fig Tree when when I was coming up, and yeah, some of the things he did, I didn't think you would ever should have ever done but he you know everyone had a laugh and a joke about it and uh but no there's definitely some great friendships and i'm still in contact with with a lot of guys today that i play with whether it's via social media or you know have a chat every now and then but um probably not as many as i'd like to but yeah yeah you, you make some good relationships over the years and uh for yourself uh looking back on your career uh and probably more so when I, I, I got you to put this great timeline together. Was there any regrets or moves you should have made in your football career? Oh, look, you know, you make decisions for reasons. I guess the, you know, the, the two that probably stick out for me in terms of, you know, your ifs, buts and maybes or what ifs is, you know, if I'd have stayed at, you know, Malaysia and given it a shot, you know, who knows what might have happened. Obviously, you know, reasons why I, I chose to come back are obvious, but, you know, from a purely soccer career selfish point of view you go you know what if I'd have given it a shot and, and probably the other one would be the Arpia you know I had a really good year with the Wolves and scored as many goals as some guys that got an A-League contract and um, you know the Arpia year would have been probably the year that sort of cemented that I could do it consistently and you know who knows what might have happened from that year but um, you know it all it all got too difficult from a family point of view and had to put the family first and yeah, but they're they're probably the two that not so much regret, just you know what ifs. And yeah. you know, my kids ask me now, would you know, were you good enough to play in the A League? And I'm like, you know, I really, I don't know. Yeah, but um, if I'd have if I'd have chosen some different, you know, different options, maybe. But who knows? And the one that sort of came to mind before we talk about um, the important people in your life, your family. I'd like to ask about. Uh, the Paul Kembler team song that you won, you must have sung it so many times. It must have been a great thrill at times to just sing it, or, or was there a song? No, it's actually ironic. We were, that was probably one, another one of Noddy's um, sort of uh, traits, that he wasn't big on singing. It was it was all very professional, and I, I it's actually ironic. I actually kind of despise team songs because it's just, when we were at Port Kemba, it was just all about business. We turned up, we did the job, we went home. Oh, look, there was lots of celebrating and, yeah. you know, the We Are The Champions probably come out when you win grand finals. But in terms of, like, club songs, we were never big on that. And and it's something that I it stuck with me because I I go to junior games today and, you know, you see a local team beat another local team and they're singing a song. And to me, I'm like, oh, it makes my skin crawl because it's, <laughs> it's, it's not, you know... It's it's not what should happen, but yeah, I understand people want to want to celebrate. But yeah, we were never never big on the team songs, and yeah, it's it's probably a, a and actually a pet hate of mine that um that sort of if you ever see me like I came when I came to Australia, they have a team song and you sing on the pitch after um after you win a game, and if you ever saw my face, I'm looking at the ground and probably say two words. I'm not not big on the team songs. Great answer, great answer, and and more importantly, and and while we uh wind it down and, and I thank you very much for your time and, and, and cutting into your Sunday afternoon. Um, can you talk a bit about, um, if you can and if it's not too personal, about your family because you've spoken about it in bits and pieces. They must have been uh, very supportive. Um, like you said, you're, you're a contracted player um, training two, three nights a week and, and pre-seasons as well and then the Wolves, the Arpias, 
the Malaysia stint. Um, you must have a great family and a great support network. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, back from my junior days, you know, my mum and dad were, were obviously always there. I, I, I didn't uh, make it as hard for them as some kids, so I didn't do any um, rep stuff in juniors, but still, you know, getting me to and from training and games every week, you know. Um, you know, my mum and dad stuck with me all the way through and, you know, my dad passed away in 2002, so he sort of sort of missed a, missed a bit of, um, you know, my career, but he was obviously involved in, in the early days at Port and would, you would love, he'd always come back to the club with me. I think he partly loved the free beer, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, look, he, he was always there and, and always, you know, the, one of the first faces I'd see in, in the Port Kembla under the cover there when you'd walk off, he'd always be there. And, and my mum was there, you know, rain, hail or shine. Uh, even after my dad passed away and, you know, she would be there from youth grade. She she's created a little group of uh, of friends and she'd go down there and, and sit and watch youth grade reserve grade and always have a little spot and everyone knew who she was. So, yeah, obviously they played a huge part and mum mum lasted a lot longer and she, she was like my biggest supporter but probably my harshest critic, you know, <laughs> tell me what I did wrong and what I didn't do and, you know, it's always good to have them there. And then... Uh, yeah, obviously my wife, you know, she, she married a footballer, so um, she knew what she was in for. But, um, yeah, look, she's put up with a lot over the years and, and even to this day, you know, I'm still coaching now. So twice a week we're out of the house, me and my two boys, and, and you know, she's she's at home on her own and she works full-time like I do. So, you know, you can't say enough about how much she's put up with over the years and persevered with me and stuck by me. and. Uh, yeah, so, you know, not much more I can say about that. You know, that that's important that you uh, obviously uh, wouldn't have achieved what you've achieved. Um, you know, 90, 90% of it maybe is yourself in terms of what you physically and mentally did, but um, their support and, and what they uh, did for you behind the scenes is is a big part of it as well. And um, it's it's wonderful that we can mention uh, family that, that really help people in their careers. Yeah, I mean, you you need someone to bounce, you know, bounce things off, you know. You you're not a, you know win all the time, and you know, Christy's, you know, she's been my rock, and uh, you know, I, I, if we lose a game, I don't come home in a in a good in a good mood, but uh, you know, she obviously quickly snaps me out of it, gets me back to reality, and you know, my my three kids are obviously a you know big part of the life, and they've they've lived through all that, and now, you know, my two boys have got a bit of the passion for soccer, and. Whether they they go to the to the length that I went to, who knows? But um, you know they've they've got what it takes if they if they believe in themselves too. So yeah, it's good good journey for me to to go into coaching to sort of try and um, you know give everyone all the players I coach you know some of what I learn over the years from all these different sorts of people. So you hope you you pass it on in the same vein and manner. But um, I don't think I'll uh, ever have the the knack of Noddy, but uh, who knows? Well, uh, obviously, some of the things that he taught you were, have come into your game, and, and I'm sure in in some shape or form that you're teaching your boys and and the others um, some skills that they will uh, retain uh, in the sport and, and outside the sport. And a couple of years ago, Shane, on the on the social media side, you were very kind in in passing on some. Um, newspaper articles when I was starting um, the the community that I've created and it's it's all about the community the football community and and you were very kind but uh, your mum was very uh, very caring that she put together a scrapbook of all your pictures and articles 
Yeah, that's right. She um she pretty much collected every article where you know the team or or myself got a mention, and I had yeah I think there's a hundred odd scanning scan photos and the like of of articles around through my career. So when I was doing the timeline, you know, it was a lot easier to read the articles and who I played <laughs> with and what happened. But yeah, she um she did a great job of that, and that was the way she supported me. She always used to um record the old win news um snippet. Um, we'd always have the soccer on a Oh, I can't remember what night of the week it was, but yeah, she, you know, I've actually got some old VHS tapes that I need to convert to digital of, you know, when we got a mention on the news. So yeah, she she had her own little hobbies to to keep supporting me. I do remember I um I actually thanked her at a Port Campbell presentation one year. I got my um couple of my past shirts framed and um, done up in a nice. Uh, Oh, a nice frame for her, and uh, and and pre- presented it to her at a, a presentation, which now lives in, in my um in my bar. So, yeah, it was it was just sort of a way to show my gratitude to her. And I'd really like to thank you uh, in finalising this interview for for taking up this Sunday afternoon. Um, I think you said early on in the in the podcast that you didn't know if it was an interesting journey, but it was extremely fascinating and and funny at times and heartwarming and. And like I said, I, you're still very humble. I, I think people need to probably Google um, how many goals you have scored because you didn't really speak too much about yourself. But uh, I'd like to thank you, Shane. It's It's been a pleasure to listen to your journey. I appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Well, it is here where we finish episode 54. Once again, I'd like to sincerely thank Shane for the time he spent conversing with me over the phone. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.